0: Welcome everyone. I'm a guest host for this week again, Langston Khan, one of the senior teachers of the Last Mass community in the cycle of transformation. And I'll start off as usual with a prayer. So you might just take a moment, wherever you are this day, to settle into your body, to connect with your breath. Just take a moment to feel all of us wherever we're listening to this podcast in the world, breathing together and feeling our connection through our breath. And I call out to your ancestral helping spirits and mine, to all those who lived well and died well and held that which is good and true and beautiful in our collective lines, especially those ancestors who knew what it was in times of transition and times of turbulence and chaos and flux to courageously work to show up with love and care to shape that chaos, to shape change towards a future that is more loving and more just and more free. And I call out to our non-human ancestors, those other than human, more than human ancestors, all the living things that have been here long before there were humans and will be here long after. Reaching out to that intelligence of life in all of its vast diversity and asking for help in understanding our true nature and deep essence of why we are here collectively as humanity and why we are each here individually as part of this vast organism of all of life. Help us to bring the manifestation of our unique genius out into the world in a way that helps us weave stronger that great web of life. Help us to recognize what are the things that don't really matter. You know, the small little things we can let slide and what are the things that have a deep meaning to our soul and to even more than our soul, to all of life. And help us to put those things at the top of our list to really prioritize those things. And from here, feeling that connection to this vast of life, we drop our consciousness deep down into our belly and connect to the earth itself. And we give thanks to life itself and thanks for the present moment and all the possibilities of the unknown that it holds. We give thanks to how generously the earth gives to us what we need to be the people we came here to be. How generously life is always teaching us and guiding us and initiating us into The vastness of who we are that is so much more than we generally realize. So we reach into the center of the earth and anchor ourselves firmly there in these deep nourishing energies of restoration. All those energies that draw their power out of darkness and stillness and silence and solitude. We reach into the fabric of all that came before on this planet, in this universe and let our hearts rest there. And from that place of rest, we connect to that heart that unites us all. And so we begin. So I wanted to speak this week you know originally i was actually intending to record this last week and and for various reasons it got a bit delayed um but i think my my thinking around this topic of liberating our humanity has continued to deepen amidst all that we're witnessing is happening in the world right now um here in the US, we watched the attempted uh, coup um, in the Capitol building that was spurred on by our president. <laughs> and what we saw in that, I think what really stuck out to me was just this deep ancestral patterns laid bare. The sort of writhing things that won't die, these time spirits, because we haven't really addressed them at their root. We saw people walking with, you know, Confederate flags in the Capitol building. We saw people with, like, you know, Nazi T-shirts and tattoos. Um... And I'm sure there's all sorts of different people with different perspectives there as well. But I think we saw this, in a sense, grasping of white supremacy amidst so much change and progress with the election results that had just happened in Georgia. And so, you know, I don't want to get too much into the details of all of that right now because there's a lot of people writing incredible things about all that's happening right now and all that it might mean for us. But what I was interested in watching all of that was this feeling of separation. That was being laid so bare there, this feeling of irreconcilable viewpoints and realities that different people were living in. And I think right now we're living in a time where we're encouraged to create these bubbles of our own experience. And oftentimes the places and platforms are creating these bubbles on, like different social media platforms aren't neutral they're filled with these different forces that are targeting our desire that are targeting us where we're most vulnerable that that place of you might look at it you know from a daoist perspective as as our jing as this this root of our life force energy and our sexual energy and our creative energy that When it comes up into expression, into our field of experience and becomes what you might call chi, it's that feeling of of it wanting to come up into the field field of experience you might call desire. And what I'm seeing is this hijacking of our desire and this divorcing of our desire from our basic humanity, from... What we understand as humans living on this earth, we need to actually be in a state of health and well-being. And what we actually need for everyone on this earth, you know, humans and non-humans, to be able to be cared for, to be able to feel the love that is available to them, to be able... To be nourished and in equitable relationships of power with each other, and I think instead what's happening, what 's happening what're what we're watching happening is our desires being dictated by mostly different forces, corporations you know political pundits who are trying to consolidate money and consolidate power in very small places, you know, know, very concentrated in, in small places versus allowed to be shared and engaged with on a collective level. And we're being guided by people who have a very short-sighted view in my perspective at least of what it actually takes to be in service to the next generation and service to life in a sense our desires being hijacked by suicidal ideologies ideologies that are in opposition to life in the long term that are in opposition to this beautiful experiment we're all part of of the vast diversity of life exploding and experimenting and dying and rebirthing and and just trying out all these new different ways of being alive on this planet that we're meant to be an essential part of and instead i think we're we're being guided by ideologies that often are seeking to either either fundamentally don't believe that we can survive on this planet so the idea is just to like you know have as good a time as you can before we all collapse, (laughs) or um, do believe survival is possible, but only believe certain people deserve to survive, and so are doing their best to use the resource available only to feed and meet the needs of those certain people. And so there's this, I was struck by this um, piece I read by this uh, Korean-American writer, Joanna Hedva, who is the author of Sick Woman Theory, and and she wrote, the most anti-capitalist protest is to care for another and to care for yourself, to take on the historically feminized and therefore invisible practice of nursing, nurturing, and caring, to take seriously each other's vulnerability and fragility and precarity and to support it, honor it, empower it, to protect each other, to enact and practice community, a radical kinship, an interdependent sociality, a politics of care. And as I was feeling into that, that quote and what it would... What it was, what's really keeping us from entering into a politics of care? What's keeping me from entering into a politics of care? You know, to, to start with myself first, I was feeling into a lot of the work that um, the Last Mass community has been doing recently in our ritual process. Every, every winter we have this big solstice ritual, And that ritual process usually involves a lot of preparation for the ritual with certain journeys and actions we're taking to help really get ready to engage in the ritual fully and move through that possible doorway of initiation that every ritual can be. And also then follow up work to make sure that the work we did during that ritual is actually reverberating out into our lives and our community and not just like a peak experience that we then forget. And so how we come to that ritual is that the leadership of the Last Mass community, which is um, community council, because the community is led by different councils, works with all the other councils to divine what's up with our helping spirits. Like what's currently up in community? What are the current collective shadows that are really getting in the way of us being the community we want to be, which is a community that is living by a politics of care that is recognizing our interdependence. And that is creating and living and practicing living in a world in which we are prioritizing care for one another and care for all of life. And so what we were seeing as as all these different councils are divining from the different perspectives, like stories council, looking at what what's going on with the stories of the community? Um, you know, I need council looking at what is the going on with the different areas where energy is flowing or not flowing in the community. Um, community council looking at those collective shadows and sort of coalescing all the different divinations the different councils together. What we ultimately found in all of that work was there is this core wound that was preventing us from being in the full expression of our humanity. So both from like the right relationship with just the essence of our humanity, being able to rest into that, but also then being able to express out our humanity in the world, in connection and relationship with each other. And so a lot of our work in the solstice was working to really identify the core wound and the different sort of MOs that we talked about a bit in the podcast a couple weeks ago, you know, the modus operandi that were keeping us through our small, daily, subtle, sneaky actions from resting into that full expression of our humanity or really looking at and engaging with that core wound in a way that would actually allow it to transform. Instead, like our MOs often have a function of just keeping us recreating a slightly better version or a slightly different version of the same pattern, which I think is what we're seeing on a collective level in the U.S. right now and in a lot of the world. Like Rather than really leaning into what is required for sustainable heart-centered transformation, just trying to see what is required to create a slightly better version of the same pattern that's maybe slightly less obvious in how harmful it is. And so as we looked at that in ourselves on a very personal level, um, it was really interesting the types of things that were coming up, because this is you know, a community of people who are engaged in a lot of transformational work together all the time, but as you looked at this subtle level and this subtle you know, layer of our humanity Versus our big, you know, flashy divinity or our, you know, authenticity or, you know, just looking at this basic humanness, personal humanness, and our capacity to fully express that. um, So much was coming up that maybe we hadn't touched into fully before in our practice. For me, one of the core wounds that I experienced was this, this distrust of my humanity, my essential humanity. Like as a as a black person, as a queer person, I had spent a lot of time working really hard to rescue my blackness because it had been so denigrated just by living in a white supremacist culture and also by, when I was younger, going to a predominantly white school. Um, and so I had to do a lot of work to, to rescue my blackness and heal and transform, internalized racism within myself. But then, and then with my queerness, similarly, I had to do a lot of work to heal, internalize homophobia, and rescue my sexuality as like an essential, beautiful part of my being that I felt in a free, easy relationship with. But then what had gotten a little bit left behind in some ways was just this basic... Simple aspect of my humanness, like my very personal humanness, like that awkwardness we feel, even just like you know looking in a you know dressing room mirror, <laughs> you know and we're we're trying on clothes and just feeling like nothing really fits us quite right, like that just basic, awkward, messy humanness, I hadn't paid attention to rescuing that part of me as much, that also gets so denigrated by our culture because. I had been so focused on the much louder wounds of these other aspects of my identity that were much more actively being attacked by our culture. But what I came to see as I was engaging in this process that our that our community had divined was it wasn't just that you know not only had these aspects of my identity been attacked but also my basic humanness was constantly attacked, as I think many of us experience just by contemporary materialist, you know, settler colonialism culture. There is this part of me, my humanness, that I was made to feel like was a kind of beast that I needed to just control and dominate and make sure that it that I could like lean into it to get information from, like I'd done so much work to enter into deeper embodiment, to trust my body's wisdom, to learn how to interpret my body's symbolic language. I thought it's like really highly refined and developed ability to be in my body and engage my body's wisdom and engage the wisdom of my humanity. But there was still a fundamental relationship of distrust with that wisdom, there was like certain situations where I would lean in and use my skills to engage that wisdom of my humanity. But then the other times when I wasn't actively engaging and in a sense using my humanity, I would just be sort of keeping it kind of locked up somewhere, (laughs) you know, keeping it very confined, controlled, kind of hidden or concealed, and like something that no one else wanted to see or I didn't want to share with anyone else necessarily. And of course, there were different spheres of my life to varying degrees where this was showing up and not showing up. But there wasn't this ability to just fundamentally rest in to my humanity and let it be fully expressed with ease throughout my day. And as I began dismantling these core wounds and dismantling these MOs throughout my day, what I started to feel and see and sense, was how I had been sold so many lies about my humanity, even after all of my work to really appreciate and love my body, and and love the earth, and love being alive on this earth, even with all the mess and chaos and craziness and pain and suffering. Still, I had swallowed these lies that Ultimately, my humanity wasn't that interesting, that it was something very plain, that it was something very um, boring, so to speak, that, you know, I needed to be in, but it wasn't actually as vital or interesting as the rest of me. It was just something I could use again, like this idea of this like beast of burden that I could use to get where I needed to get. But it wasn't that special or interesting. Whereas when I started dismantling these, these MOs and dismantling these, this core wound and really healing, doing some healing there, what happened was I, I had these moments during you know, periods of ecstatic dance, during periods of ritual, during you know periods in nature where suddenly I would just feel myself slip in to a deep relationship with my humanity and in that deep relationship, everything opened to me. I was in conversation with the vastness of who I am, of the many me's that, that make up you know, Langston. It's funny because I just in the last um, energy body clearing class, I used this metaphor of a murmuration um, of of birds, you know, of sparrows, or that that essentially is this vast collective of birds that are moving. If you've seen the videos of them ever, you can you can Google them on YouTube. Um, if you Google murmuration, it's these beautiful collective movements of birds to the sky where often they almost appear to be one giant bird flying through the air themselves in the way that they're coordinating their movements together. And I was using that as a metaphor to talk about the soul and how the soul isn't one thing. In indigenous cosmologies all over the world, the soul is understood to be this vast collective of many intelligences, this flock of birds that have come together in this one lifetime to live this specific unique purpose, this unique vision in the world. And so our job is to be, maintain a state of coherence with all of this vast collective of ourselves, not to necessarily mush them all into one thing or force ourselves to be simplified into one thing or one identity, but to be able to have a core that is strong enough and centered enough to be able to tune in and touch into all the different aspects of self that has something to say and then make a decision, make decisions and choices that are in alignment with the fullness of the vastness of who we are. And in a sense, we do that by aligning more and more with that energy of our purpose, this dream that all of these different energies came to this earth to embody together in the form of this human being, in this one human body. And when I was deeply resting in to my humanity, deeply resting into my human body, I was able to feel That conversation of all of these aspects of myself and feel how much of myself I had, you know, sacrificed or put on hold or um, kind of pushed to the side just so I could, um, you know, get through my day and do what I needed to do um, while not realizing all of the resources and energy and gifts and ideas that I was leaving you know, on the cutting room floor, so to speak, in my identification with one small, tiny part of me and this distrust and holding separate from my humanity. Because it was only when I was centered in my humanity that I was strong enough to feel the vastness of who I am and also do what I need to do in each moment, you know, feel what each moment is calling out of me, and bring my gifts to bear on that moment and meet the needs of my time in that way and the needs of my life in that way. And so I was struck by this idea on a collective level, that if on an individual level we need to be in our humanity to be able to tune in to this vast conversation that, that we are as one human being, then how might we center in our humanity as a collective to be able to tune into the level of depth of conversation that needs to happen to be able to truly acknowledge all of our humanity in the choices we're making and not leaving some aspects of humanity out of that conversation. And I'm not necessarily even saying that, you know, I, I'm not at all, I don't want to fall into that trap of like we really, we're in a time where we really need to listen to both sides because both sides have a lot to say. I think even the idea of two sides is a fallacy. I'm talking about being able to tune in to a conversation that, that in, sees everyone's humanity as, you know, as humans. And also honors the personhood of all of life as part of that conversation as well. And in a sense, you know, this is the <laughs> this is my my um, answer to why shamanism now. That this is for me, shamanism is w- what has given me the tools to tune into the vastness of who I am and to honor the different perspectives of others in a way that also honors my own limits and boundaries and my own personhood and their personhood as I listen to that and and be in community in a sustainable way together, working toward the shared vision. But then also in my decision-making on a daily basis, in a very concrete, mundane way, be engaging tools, you know, the tools of shamanism to be bringing into my decision-making process a greater perspective of spirit, of my helping spirits, of you know, the mountain I live near, of the, the bedrock that's beneath my feet, of my of the helping spirits that walk with me that are trying to remind me of what's going on beneath the surface of things, so that I can make choices that really honor the truth of, of all of the dynamics that are play and that are at play in the present moment, beneath just my small human perspective. And, of course, it's a continual process of learning and growth on how to integrate that more and more into my life and do that within a culture that's largely in opposition to that way of thinking, Um, largely in opposition to bringing all human perspectives to the table, let alone other than human perspectives to the table as well. But I think, you know, collectives... Collective energies aren't some abstract thing. Like, I think sometimes we can, we can especially those of us who are more shamanically inclined or, or into magic or the occult, we can get into all of these abstractions of ways to think about collective energies and egregores, these sort of, like, thought forms that take on a life of the, their own. And, like, all of that is cool and interesting. And in my experience, collective energies are simply that. They're the sum total of a collective. So they're, you know, in a sense sense they're bigger than that sum total because of that group synergy that happens when multiple people get together and are doing, are engaging together. But ultimately the collective is made up of the individuals in that collective. So to actually be having a conversation that honors everyone's humanity, we need to start with really reconnecting with our own humanity. And so, for me, I think the first way to do that is connecting with the body. And for me, one of the the ways that I find is easiest to connect with the body is beginning to first just, you know, engage in any type of grounding exercise. There's been a lot of shows about grounding um, that you can listen to. But one very simple start is to engage your breath, to breathe into your body, and rest there deeply into your root of your body, and then through your body, connect down into the earth. And I think once we're in our body, the way to actually begin to learn to start making that our normal and inhabitant is to be really connecting with the felt sense in our body. Now, a lot of people use the word felt sense, and I think there's some misunderstanding around it because they say things like, oh, I don't know what the words are, but I just have a felt sense about this. And like, yes, that's that can be something that you have and a felt sense A felt sense is the knowing that's beyond words in the body. But it's also how we how I find the easiest way we connect with the felt sense is by finding the words that allow us to then actually tune into the body and name those ineffable, inarticulate feelings that we have and then notice how those feelings in our body respond to the words we use, if they're sort of opening in response to them or closing in response to them. And then, like a game of hot and cold, continuing to feel into what is the most precise word I can find to describe the feeling I have in my body. And if we're willing to trust that process and stay with the feeling and not rush to analyzing it or trying to make it make sense, but just describe it as best we can with our words i often find them when we see what is in our body what is in our inner landscape but when we are able to give voice to what we're feeling without trying to fix it or change it or adjust it or compartmentalize it that's ironically when Our body changes when these feelings in our body shifts and change and begin to reveal more information to us and point us in a direction of forward movement versus this feeling of stuckness or disconnection from our own experience. There's this, you know, the person who coined the term felt sense is Eugene Genlin, and he has this really good quote about the felt sense, that the felt sense is not a mental experience, but a physical one. A bodily awareness of a situation or person or event. An internal aura that encompasses everything you feel and know about the given subject at a given time. Encompasses it and communicates it to you all at once rather than detail by detail. Think of it as a taste, if you like, or a great musical chord that makes you feel a powerful impact. A big, round, unclear feeling. A felt sense doesn't come to in the form of thoughts or words or other separate units, but as a single, though often puzzling and very complex, bodily feeling. So if we're willing to be with these big, round, unclear feelings and not feel the need to analyze or jump into projection or blame or division the moment we feel discomfort, I think we can begin to both honor our own humanity more and also honor the humanity in others. And I think it can be useful to, to, you know, for those of you who journey, it can be useful to ask the journey question, who in me doesn't trust my humanity? Or who in me is afraid of resting into the fullness of my humanity. And notice what comes up. But then also, within that, we can feel into, if we say to ourselves, I fully trust my humanity and feel completely prepared to share it with the world, what is the big round unclear feeling that arises in our inner awareness in response to that statement? Are there voices that come up that say, "No, I'm, I'm not," or are there voices that come up that say, "Like ah, I'm going to die if you do that," or what? Well, you know, what's coming? What comes up for us in our inner experience, or is it like a feeling of yes? I have this deep wanting to just be in the full expression of my humanity, and I need to be with that wanting and that pleasure in being with my humanity any of those are possibilities and i think if we're willing to drop in and feel into this territory it can help us to anchor ourselves in a time when everything is targeting us to unanchor us because we're much easily more easily manipulated and more easily deployed to serve the ends that are not necessarily in our best interests when we are ungrounded and unanchored and not tracking reality accurately because we're tracking the reality that we've sort of formed in our own personal private bubble versus this deeper perspective of all of life. And so I think our humanity, beginning to feel into what are the barriers between us and our humanity is one place that we can begin to pierce our little bubble that we've constructed for ourselves, and feel into that vaster, wider conversation that's always happening all around us and wanting to happen through us and with us as well as conscious, active participants in that conversation. Now, I think you know, it's easy to say, okay, feel into humanity more, enter your body more. That's what you need to do. But, but, you know, we have to look at why are we not in our humanity and our body. And I think right now, another reason for that is grief that many of us have lost so much this year. So many people have died. And even if we don't have someone in our personal life who passed away in this pandemic, um, or out of other types of, you know sickness or violence or just natural death even if we haven't personally been touched in that way we we feel the collective because we're all connected in this collective unexpressed grief or even just the grief for the loss of the world we used to be in before this pandemic the loss of touch the loss of easy connection the loss of you know in-person gathering all these different ways that Our lives have dramatically changed as a result. And maybe also the peeling back of false innocence, of of, of naivete that was keeping us able to feel innocent in the face of things like white supremacy while deep down knowing that we were complicit in a harmful system. And so we might also need to grieve the peeling away the layers to reveal more truths about how we're complicit in creating unjust circumstances for other humans. And within that, within that, looking at our complicity, also maybe needing to grieve the aspects of rank, power, and privilege that we might need to give up, the ways of life that we might need to give up if we want to be part of creating a more equitable world you know what we might need to sacrifice to create that new possibility of a more equitable world We might need to really grieve those things so we can actually start moving and redistributing resources in that way or redistributing power redistributing you know roles that we're in in different ways to help create more of that equity and so I think grief can be a big reason for, unexpressed grief can be a big reason for holding ourselves outside of our body and outside of our humanity. But when we're willing to drop down into our grief and really feel it and express it, I think that's when we can feel into our true longings. There's this way that when we really allow ourselves to name that which we have lost, to feel that which we have lost, and wail and scream and cry, even better if, it's, if we're doing it in community or in like a ritual container for that purpose, like a grief ritual, if we're willing to do that. There's also a great podcast about grief rituals you can look up in, in the archives. Um, then there's a way we get emptied out. And in that process of emptying out, we start to feel that ache of our true longing in that emptiness, that ache of what we truly desire, not the cravings that have been fed to us by our culture, but what we truly long for and desire. And I'm not of the school of thought that desire is a bad thing. I think desire is a fundamental way we can connect with our purpose and that understanding of what we are here to do. Because when we're not, when our desire isn't being hijacked by the cravings of our culture or the addictions that are sort of fed to us, um, we can feel that part of ourself that carries that knowledge of our purpose, rising up into our experience and urging us towards things that inflame our passion and that fill our heart with longing, that if we pursue them will help us to better understand who we are and what we're here to do and who we are here to be on this planet. You know, for me, I remember one time I was, uh, I was invited in a certain, well, in a certain moment, I was just feeling into um, the grief of my ancestors who, specifically the grief of my ancestors who had been harmed by being enslaved. And in that grieving process of of really being in a ritual container where I could feel that grief and allow it to flow through me, what I felt beneath that was this deep love and desire for freedom, for not just to not be enslaved but this deep desire for for freedom in which I could be expressing the fullest, most audacious, loving version of the vision of who I came here to be in relationship with others, expressing their own vision in that same way to be in this easy, ecstatic flow of relationship and energy and exchange in this vast marketplace of the world um, in a way that that was not constricted or bound in any way, in a way that on a physical level, I wasn't constricted or bound. I had this freedom I was feeling in my hips and in my you know, glutes and in my Hamstrings and thighs and calves and shoulders and and arms, this feeling in all of my body of freedom, this feeling in my mind of freedom, this feeling in my spirit of freedom, this feeling of my heart in freedom, this big, full emotional response, not sort of controlling or constricting or binding emotions. And I just I felt how the idea of freedom was so much bigger than before that moment I had known it to be. And I couldn't couldn't dream into that vision of freedom I had for myself and for the world until I allowed myself to feel the grief of those ancestors who that freedom was taken away from on such an extreme level. And that guided my writing, that guided my work in the world, that guided what I chose to prioritize because I began orienting towards those practices that put me in relationship with that feeling of freedom that I had experienced with my ancestors and their grief and my grief for them. And so I just invite you to make time, as you're exploring this idea of, this, of humanity, if you choose to, to make time for grief. And in that grieving also make time for feeling into the longing that reveals itself to you afterwards or during that grieving. Like what is your, the pain of your grief showing you you mm-hmm. long for in your life right now? There's a way that grief just helps us to prioritize in a way and, and sort of sweep away the obfuscation to, to reset our values and, and accurately evaluate the aspects of our life based on our true desires versus on the desires that have been told we should be embodying or feeling. And so, you know, in this, in this journey with humanity, one other thing that I think keeps us from our humanity is our ability to be in right relationship with the healthy child architect. And so, you know, so much of the ability of our, of, of to rest into our humanity involves being in right relationship with the present moment and the unknown, not being stuck in trauma from the past or worried about fears in the future that keep us out of the present moment. Because our humanity is always in the present moment. That's where we'll find it. And so, and the present moment is always unknown, you know, because you're not if you're not like, you know, sort of fixing the future in some way out of fear, then the present is a portal into the unknown. And so the child archetype, the healthy child archetype, in the in the teachings of the cycle of transformation, we don't talk about the inner child so much as in the way that most of like contemporary psychology does is this sort of like, you know, collection of our wounds from our childhood or this very sort of like infantilized part of ourselves that we have to like care for in a certain childlike way. We talk about the inner child as just like we talk about the inner healer as an archetype. The child is this archetype, this numinous energy that is found in all living things, not just humanity. Well, well, that is full of curiosity and awe and innocence. And when expressing the child in living our humanity, we relate to the unknown with curiosity and engagement and our desire to learn outweighs our desire to get it right. And we're able in that way to follow that true passion and desire I was just talking so much about. So there's a way we might think like, oh, if I want to be on the path of my purpose and in relationship with my humanity, I really need to be in touch with like that wise archetype of the sage that knows what's up and like has really seen some shit, you know. But really, the child is the one who can be in the present and engage fully and robustly in right relationship with the unknown, because just like the way we watch a child, you know, learn something new they are willing to keep trying until they figure it out and the trying is a game you know like when you're watching a child learn to walk it's delightful you know you try to help make sure they don't hurt themselves but it's 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 delightful to watch a child learn to walk and if we as adults were trying to learn to walk we probably would be like you know i'm just fine with crawling actually that's totally <laughs> you know i'm just gonna be over here crawling don't worry about me it's it's fine i, I like crawling Crawling's great you know <laughs> because we don't want to risk the possible embarrassment of failure or the possible um not being received and that we want to be received when we do our big walking thing, you know. And so but the child can just be in it and have the process be part of the play and part of the joy of the doing of it. And so I think part of what's necessary to really rest into our humanity is also reclaim a right relationship with the child archetype. And for me, the tools that have been most helpful to come into right relationship with that child archetype are, is the deep liberation process, this, this, the emotional clearing work and energy body mastery work that was developed by Christina to help us engage with our life as a teacher in a way that allows us to track our triggers and trauma and stuck patterns to their root in our inner landscape and transform them there. And each time we transform one of these aspects of self that are stuck in fears and traumatic situations from the past, we begin to repair that relationship with this child archetype. So it's easier and easier to rest into that capacity of the child of curiosity and awe and innocence and being in the unknown with curiosity and engagement in a way that's that's just easily accessible to us and can naturally flow into our day when it's needed. You know, we talk a lot about, uh, on this podcast, about spiritual adulthood and and spiritual maturity. And I think it's important to understand that when we talk about that, we're not talking about the sort of colonialist idea of the adult who has, you know, given up their passions out of duty and obligation to their family and their their nation. You know, they have... um, manage to control their emotions tightly and be purely rational all the time. They, you know, don't get lost in trying to care for too many others, but instead just make sure they, and maybe their family have what they need to survive so they can continue to succeed as a rugged individual in the world on their own merits. You know, this idea of adult is sick and and comes out of like sick colonialist thought. And, when we talk about spiritual adulthood, we're talking about someone who is in right relationship with the child archetype so they can move, as you often see with many indigenous elders, move and flow in and out of you know, great humor and laughter and play as vital parts of their day-to-day experience, not as something that's like embarrassing. That they can move into their imagination and engage their imagination to vision and to see new perspectives and to tune into the invisible world and other dimension of things that are operating around all us all the time, that they can flow fluidly in different gender expressions with the archetypes of, you know, true man and true woman in different ways, both, you know, knowing when it's time to nurture and, and hold that which is precious. And when it's time to move into risk and, protect and support that which is trying to move into risk. And, and they can also embody the sage and the elder and, and share the wisdom freely of how they've transmuted the poison, what was poison in their lives, into medicine that people can engage with and interact with and learn from. So we're not always reinventing the wheel. You know, and an, and an elder in indigenous culture, a, a spiritual adult, is able to embody all these archetypes of humanity and allow them to effortlessly flow through them as needed. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about adulthood, not some like this repressed, constricted, colonialist idea of the adult. And so I recently just wrote a book, uh, Deep Liberation, Shamanic Teachings for Reclaiming Wholeness in a Culture of Trauma, where I work to share some of these tools Uh, for how to do this, for how to move into what has been poisoned for us in our life and really begin transmuting it into medicine and becoming the person who can share that medicine with the world and weave wholeness from within the fractures of a broken culture, to become people who don't need to wait for that culture to get its act together before we start practicing love and start practicing care with one another and start practicing being in our humanity and so i'm uh, it it goes on sale on the 19th it's available where you know most books are available and i would love for you to join us the last mass center is going to be holding a party um for the book lunch and we're going to have Readings from the book, we're going to have some live performance from some of my friends, we're going to have some giveaways, we're going to have um, a Q&A time, and we're also going to have a shared practice, because for those in the U.S., that's going to be on the eve of the presidential inauguration. And so we're going to have a shared practice where we're going to be engaging our skills to dream into the future we want to create in this time of transition, A future that's hopefully not just a slightly better version of a fundamentally broken system, but something that actually has potential to be truly new and truly in service of that more loving, just and free world I've been trying to describe today. And so, um, yeah, I encourage you, if you if you feel interested in the tools that we're talking about or the tools that Christina has shared um, around clearing and the deep liberation process Uh, to check out the book and to join us for that uh, book launch party. And I'd like to close with a quote that comes from Toni Morrison, that I feel like she's just such an incredible, wise teacher of the importance of honoring and respecting our humanity, really deeply, lovingly honoring it. And so I'm just going to read this quote from her. In this here place, we flesh, flesh that weeps, laughs, flesh that dances on bare feet and grass. Love it. Love it hard. Yonder, they do not love your flesh. They despise it. They don't love your eyes. They just as soon pick them out. No more do they love the skin on your back. Yonder they flay it. And oh my people, they do not love your hands. Those they only use, tie, bind, chop up and chop off and leave empty. So love your hands. Love them. Raise them up and kiss them. Touch others with them. Pat them together. Stroke them on your face. Because they don't love that either. You got to love it. You. And no, they ain't in love with your mouth. Yonder out there, they will see it broken and break it again. What you say out of it, they will not heed. What you scream from it, they do not hear. No, they don't love your mouth. You got to love it. This is flesh I'm talking about here. Flesh that needs to be loved. Feet that need to rest and to dance backs that need support, shoulders that need arms, strong arms, I'm telling you, and oh my people out yonder, hear me, they do not love your neck unnoosed and straight, so love your neck, put a hand on it, grace it, stroke it and hold it up, and all your inside parts that they just as soon slop for hogs, you've got to love them. The dark, dark liver, love it. Love it in the beat and beating heart, love that too. More than eyes or feet. More than lungs that have yet to draw free air. More than your life holding womb and your life giving private parts. Hear me now. Love your heart. For this is the price. So thank you so much for joining me here today. I'd love to see you at the book lunch party. Um, and I hope you have a beautiful rest of your week and continue to stay centered in your true desire and your humanity as we move through these changing times. Make give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and all our good, true, and beautiful ancestors and the heart that unites us all. Thank you.